Okay, it's um, one past three. Um, hello and uh, welcome everyone to the Variant Perception June 2022 uh, Market Outlook Call. Uh, my name is Aaron, I'm joined by Tian today. Um, and as usual, we've prepared a um, very short slide deck just to highlight clients to clients, you know, what's changing, um, reconcile some of the moves in our indicators that operate across different time horizons, um, and just talk through some of the nuances um, around our views. Um, so getting straight into it on slide two, um, effectively the, the biggest marginal change relative to last month was that our China leading indicator um, had made new lows. Um, obviously the domestic environment was, uh, was bad through lockdowns, um, but critically as well, the external inputs that go into our China leading indicator, things like uh, global trade, global liquidity, some manufacturing inputs, um, these are all worsening as well. Um, so to that extent, it's, you know, it's not just the lockdown sort of um, strangles our uh, kind of six month uh, view of China, but it's also the external that's um, really weighing it down. Um, and, you know, as we've been writing about our liquidity indicators, um, they turn negative, both BCFI and excess liquidity. Um, and the update last month was that they continue to get more negative. Um, so, of course, uh, the, the cyclical environment right now is... Um, is very challenged. Um, and really the only good news for now is that our US recession signal is muted. Um, and I, I'll just say that, um, you know, clients that are interested in essentially what's driving our recession signal, um, you know, all, all of the various um, sub models, the way we build our recession signal is through a, a effectively a model of models approach. Um, so, you know, we wrote a, a understanding recessions, the massive report fairly recently. Um, which has all of the components there, but happy to refresh that and share that to clients as and when they request it. Um, so, you know, going back to kind of our equities roadmap, um, you know, in the months prior, we were thinking that, you know, of course, liquidity was turning quite bad. We were turning a lot more cautious before the um, bear market actually happened. Um, and really, the, refreshing the picture today, it still it feels very difficult to turn bullish based on what we're seeing right now. Um, you know, obviously, we've, um, you know, we, we're not just relying on our cyclical tools, we're looking more at our tactical tools as well that we've really improved this year. And um, it was a uh, report that I got the link there on the 24th of May, where we effectively refreshed um, all of our tactical tools and found that there was potential of a, a multi-week short squeeze rally. So, you know, to that extent, it's, um, it doesn't necessarily invalidate the cyclical view, it's more that, you know, we would be looking to you know, retain our tactical longs from that point um, and effectively just weighing up what we're seeing on the cyclical and the tactical, it tells us that um, right now we're not really expecting to, to chase the, the rally any higher. Obviously, uh, the market's kind of lost a bit of steam recently, but, um, you know, we're not in an aggressive buying dip mode. Um, so I, I guess just um, quickly touching on our, um, our bond roadmap as well and, you know, we'll get into this and in, in the relevant charts later on. Um, you know, essentially, we're very close to the point of adding duration. Um, you know, obviously, it's kind of awkward timing with the call uh, today on Thursday, the 9th, when CPI data is released tomorrow. Um, essentially, we would be looking in the data released tomorrow for confirmation that CPI has rolled over, that critical components uh, within CPI um, are, are also showing signs of um, effectively rolling over, just to confirm uh, some of the prior moves in our leading inflation indicators. 
Um, and, you know, looking at some of the tactical tools with, um, with treasuries, um, the environment is getting better, um, you know, and no longer in that LPPL crash. Um, and the LPPL tools that we had, I think it really did help us avoid um, the, the sell-off in treasuries earlier on in the year and, you know, effectively helped us to understand when is a good time to start adding some tactical longs at least. But, um, you know, now is perhaps a much better time relative to, say, a month ago. Um, and I, I guess just moving on to, to slide three, just to um, really just cover some of the, um, the cyclical picture a bit more in terms of, you know, what are the key data points to watch, the signposts to understand, you know, how the cyclical environment could evolve over the next um, few months or so. Um, the top left chart there, as I mentioned, our China LEI, that's the, the red line, um, has rolled over, but also um, the Eurozone and US leading indicators are also rolling over quite sharply. Our Eurozone indicator is in negative territory. Um, I, I guess, again, a saving grace is that the U.S. indicator, it is rolling over, but it's still at a pretty positive level. So, you know, to that extent, the global growth picture isn't kind of due for a collapse necessarily. Um, and then just looking at some of the liquidity indicators, just thinking about, um, you know, effectively, what are, what are the marginal moves from here, right? So excess liquidity, uh, BCFI, as I mentioned, our two favorite indicators. Um, you know, we proved this quantitatively that, um, you know, they have an absolutely fantastic lead on the growth cycle and also asset prices. Um, and so, you know, essentially stripping all of our cyclical indicators into just a, a handful, um, things like excess liquidity and BCFI will always be um, at the top of our, uh, at the top of our tool set. Um, so with excess liquidity, um, it is negative right now. And just thinking about the next um, move because, you know, essentially it is real narrow money growth, less economic growth. Um, you know, obviously inflation is biting in there, but given our U.S. headline CPI indicator is starting to roll over, that can add some marginal relief. But I guess the other critical component is that, you know, how is, um, you know, demand deposits, things that really drive M1, how are they going to react um, as the Fed starts draining bank reserves? And, you know, for the time being, at least, it's, it's difficult really to um, to say for sure one way or the other which direction it's going to head. But, you know, at least we can look at things like consumer leading data, just get a sense of, you know, is there going to be this kind of flood to, to spend as there has been, or are we going to see more of a retrenchment? And uh, for the time being, at least, it does seem as though that things aren't set to get very, uh, very much better very soon. And so really the critical piece is just to effectively wait for, um, you know, effectively wait for inflation to peak. Um, that should allow the Fed to uh, dovishly and allow some relief for, for our liquidity indicators to turn higher from there. And, um, you know, obviously with the BCFI, um, that is effectively just a count of how many central banks are hiking. Um, again, we're not expecting any relief there. I mean, you know, obviously with the ECB is about to kind of join the hiking parade. Um, we can look at money markets just to get a sense of, um, how many central banks are expected to hike. And again, no relief there. So that's just the top right chart, the red line. Um, so, you know, overall, as I mentioned, the cyclical picture is getting more challenging. The uh, the saving grace is that the U.S. consumer is holding up. Our recession signal is muted. Um, and again, I would just say that, you know, we've had a lot of con conversations about this and uh, Tian and I will discuss this in a bit more nuance a bit later on. But um, just to say that, 
you know, our recession signal is deliberately made up of various submodels, um, such that there's no heavy reliance on any one input, things like, you know, oil price spikes, things like yield curve inversions. Um, it's not necessarily going to react straight away to, um, uh, to events like that. The, the critical piece of our recession framework is that we need to see confirmation from other parts of the market or economy to confirm stress um, that may be arising in some of the faster moving pieces. So um, really the, the read is that whilst the, the kind of the soft side of the economy and market um, is stressing out things like consumer surveys, um, you know, obviously uh, the oil price spike and, you know, yield curve flattening and so forth, um, that's not being confirmed by the hard data where, you know, we're looking at things like truck sales, building permits and so forth. Um, so really it's, it's you know, I, I think the point being is that, you know, we've, we've seen this happen before in the mid 2010s where, you know, soft data stress was picking up, um, but critically the hard data didn't go with it. So again, our recession framework has been a really good tool um, to not throw up these false positives as, you know, perhaps you might be kind of, um, exposed to in, in some of the narratives and other research. Um, and just finally, just looking at um, the US consumer a bit more specifically, um, our bottom right chart there shows our retail sales leading indicator, which is um, sharply rolling over, um, largely due to rising mortgage spreads, um, real incomes getting squeezed. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, right now we're trying to get a sense of um, you know, how are we weighting this relative to these kind of pandemic one-offs, things like excess savings, the Bullworth effect. Um, and ultimately those one-offs are starting to, um, to turn a bit less positive. So to the extent that we'll continue to see a rollover in our leading indicators um, as these one-offs start to fade, um, it'll paint a much more negative picture for the US consumer. Um, but critically, we're not there yet. So at least for the cyclical side of things, it is, um, it is holding up for now. Um, and I'll just um, quickly review some of our tactical tools before um, uh, handing over to you, Tian. Um, so essentially just, um, you know, the way I think about the tactical tools relative to the cyclical tools is just to understand, um, you know, effectively what is the, the marginal change relative to, to last month, just get a sense of how to balance the, um, the kind of the net read of, um, of these tools. Um, and as I mentioned, um, you know, 24th of May, we refreshed all of these, we found that you know, they were at contrarian levels where, you know, a, a squeeze rally was um, was a likelihood. Um, you know, refreshing it today, um, we see that, you know, some areas, things like, you know, the stock bond ratio, things like Brett, um, you know, we've looked at closed end funds where they're trading relative to now. Um, they're all at levels that suggest that, you know, the tactical rally hasn't necessarily faded completely. Um, but obviously, you know, when we're looking at, um, the kind of the overall tactical environment. So this is the middle um, top charts um, where we're looking at things like sentiment trends and analog. Um, overall, it's, it's again, it's not painting a positive picture. It's still marginally negative. Um, so the way I'm kind of reconciling this is to basically say that whilst we are seeing some tactical tools flag contrarian buy signals, um, the overall kind of trading environment is still on that downward trend. So, you know, to that extent, um, you know, we're not looking to to chase rallies higher, um, especially given the cyclical backdrop is worsening. So, you know, it's getting less likely, I would say, that we'd be holding on to these tactical longs for a, um, 
kind of a, a six-month um, position. So um, with that, I'll, I'll hand over to, to Tian to just run through some of the, um, um, the key kind of client questions we've taken on this month. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, th thank you, Aaron. Um, although I do think there's a couple of things we should probably clarify, right? Um, so on the inflation point, this idea, I think right now what we're seeing is it's more a plateau than a mountain peak. Right, I think that's important to get, um, to really clarify. So the idea is that inflation can't keep accelerating, but it's still going to be at a, a pretty uncomfortably high level relative to the Fed's target. Right. So so how that comes across in different asset classes will be different. So for equities, liquidity dependent asset classes, so you know tech, private, you know risk assets, you know that there's no relief. Right. Like the Fed's not going to be able to back off. Um, from continued hikes. So those areas are still vulnerable. However, on the fixed income side, because obviously markets are forward-looking and so much has been priced in, we're saying that even the plateau inflation generates the potential for a counter-trend long duration value, right? So I think that, that's probably very key to emphasize in terms of the differentiated um, impact on equity versus bond save in terms of inflation. And I, and I did just really want to highlight the middle chart here on slide three as well, because the Fed basically told you this is what they look at as their recession indicator, right? Like, you know, they've written papers about it a few times. You know, they've talked at various points historically about how they don't think two tens is a good guide, even three months, 10 year, your curve's a good guide, right? All those inversions the Fed says is not useful. What the Fed themselves say is useful is this, which is the three months against the three months, 18 months forward, right? So, so, so you know, when we refresh this, it, you can kind of confirm this idea that there's an absence of a Fed put and they're going to, you know, keeping the foot down uh, for a while, long, longer yet, right? Which is, you know, their recession indicator basically says we're very far away from recession. This, that particular pick of the curve is very steep still. And obviously, if inflation uh, stays high, then there's still very little reason for them to back off. So I, I think that's why um, I think this chart here is very important. Um, and then on the, on, the, on the bottom right, I would say, though, this divergence also makes sense, right? Because this, the, the whole point of this divergence originally was this is supposed to be the bullet effect this time around, like the mother of all bullet effects, right? Because you need to have the entire inventory rebuild out of the pandemic, the, the rejigging of supply chains, the fact that everyone's freaked out about supply disruption, so everybody, you know, triple orders. So you should expect to see this inventory thing stay super high and keep building. But the first sign should be that consumption weakens, and then eventually, as the inventory rollover, then it gets really bad. So, um, yeah, that's just something I would I would just um, just emphasize here. So now, now in terms of the key question, obviously, you know, it, it was nice we managed to put something out roughly at the bottom in terms of the squeeze, hedging the squeeze. There's a natural question now is obviously how high can markets go? What's a good point to get out? And then what's a good point to potentially reestablish shorts again, given we're overall pretty cautious on the market. Um, so the first thing to emphasize is in terms of our bear market, uh, bet market bottom checklist, uh, the kind of top middle chart here on, on slide five. Um, obviously, we can see we're not quite there yet. You know, there's not enough signs of a, that you normally see our major bear market bottom. Um, so then we can look at, okay, this is a bear market rally. So what do historical bear market rallies look like? And obviously, in the, in the table here, middle um, slide five, we've kind of shown, you know, just some key statistics for the um, kind of historical bear market rallies. Um, I would say that for me personally, I'm a lot more focused in on kind of the post-2000 kind of examples, right? So hopefully you're in a slightly more kind of familiar market structure environment in terms of market players 
and so forth to give you a sense of what's going on. So right now, the key is that, you know, this is a very, very short period of time. Usually bear market rallies can go on for, you know, two to three months. The shortest previously being this, you know, July 2002. So from this point of view, again, there's probably like a bit of time to go. And obviously in, in terms of absolute terms, in terms of the rally off the lows on S&P, it's still relatively low. But what I thought was very interesting to emphasize here is what the retracement is, right? And you can see typically, you know, the market is going to retrace essentially 40 to 50%, right? And that's the key. And so what I've done here in terms of the next slide where we zoom in is obviously plot, plotted it so we get a sense of um, there it is. So we can get a sense of seeing where the market is, right? If we plot the retracement level. So, you know, that kind of puts us into this kind of 4,200 4, to 4,300 range. Um, and then what we can also do to kind of um, comp complement that analysis to look at some of the more specific kind of daily market structure things so one, as we emphasize in our understanding volatility report, is to track um, gamma by strikes. Um, so essentially, when you have situations like this, right, this huge green bar here, it just where you know this is essentially telling you that um, the sell side or option dealers have a lot of positive gamma in in this price range for the S and P, right, which is essentially you know for us is right forty one, basically forty one hundred ish, rough, roughly around there. And so what that's telling you is, you know, as prices get into that area, it's going to be sucked into that area. If markets rally above, the delta hedging causes them to actually kind of sell into any rallies above. And if it falls below, um, the delta hedging will cause them to buy. So unless there's a, another big catalyst that hits, the market tends to be sucked to these kind of levels. And obviously that's kind of been a little bit what's been going on um, for the past week, right, in June, certainly off that initial rally. So I think that that's, um, you know, that, that probably explains why we're pinned here. And then another way to look at it is essentially this chart on slide six is um, basically a market profile chart. Essentially, it's a plot of um, what's called time price opportunity. But basically, it's telling you how often has the S&P stayed at a particular price. And the idea being that obviously, you know, if the S&P spends a lot of time at a particular price, um, say like, you know, which is the kind of the, the, the longer blue bars here, it just tells you the market is at equilibrium at that price, right? Because obviously the reason prices stay somewhere for a long time is because buyers and sellers are matched at that point and, and, and not much is going on. So, you know, a lot of these things, if you put them together, is essentially saying to us, 4,200 is going to be a pretty good level to really look to get, fully get out of that kind of tactical longs. And if we start riding above that, that's going to be a pretty good level to start actually looking at tactical shorts. Um, so that's kind of my main takeaway um, from, from kind of looking looking at this in terms of how high a bear market squeeze um, can go and potentially when to get rid of it. Um, the, the kind of second really key question that we begin a lot is, you know, how how much of a recession risk has been priced into equities, and what are the ways to think about it? So here, I basically um, made made kind of two suggestions on how to think about it. So the top two charts. Um, are basically the same chart. It's just the right-hand one is the, sh the full history, and, the, and and this top middle chart here is kind of zoomed in on the most recent 20 years. And what we've done is we've plotted our business cycle indicator that we first kind of um, explained in our asset allocation cookbook, um, and we've plotted that against basically S&P earnings and, and different measures of S&P earnings. And you can see that basically this is a extremely good lead for earnings growth, right, in, in 12 months forward. And so right now, what we're seeing is that the business cycle indicator is actually a pretty low level. And yet, um, in terms of forecast earnings, both the 12 months forward implied um, earnings growth and the 2023 implied is still, you know, at pretty punchy levels relative to where the business, business cycle indicators are. 
So that to me suggests that there's still probably a decent amount of downside in equities or certainly in the analyst forecast. So, you know, there's not a lot being priced in terms of the, the kind of earnings estimates right now that for full recession, right? In fact, there's, there's nothing. So, so that suggests it's downside risk. Now, from a, a protection point of view, though, another way we can kind of get a sense of how much recession risk can be priced in is to essentially look at binary options. So, binary, so essentially, it's like a and binary option prices to infer kind of a crash probability, right? Because, you know, the way binary options work is essentially, it's a, you know, as the name suggests, it's one zero. So if a certain event happens, you get payoff, otherwise you don't. So obviously the, what we've picked is um, a 15% kind of market crash within three months. And on the right-hand chart here, you can see that this is, you know, not that common historically and typically only tends to occur during like major bear markets. Obviously you get one there, but generally it's coming out the lows, right? Once you see these huge events occur. Um, so here, what we can see is that, again, we're not, you know, we're at pretty elevated kind of um, risk, I would say, in option markets. So option markets are fairly stressed. So if this was, um, you know, you can see here in terms of, you know, we're back to kind of 2018, 2015, 16, right? It's all comparable levels. But I would I would say this is not not at crazy levels. Like if, if this implied probability goes up towards 15, 20%, then obviously you can see this is getting to like a very, very extreme level of pricing. And at that point, it's almost like a, a contrarian buy signal. So I would say in terms of outright buying protection point of view, um, you know, there's probably a, a decent amount of a recession risk, kind of crash risk priced in. But in terms of um, earnings forecast getting revised down, it still hasn't happened. So, so overall, my takeaway is still that there's downside. There's still downside risk um, in, in equities. Tian, just before we move on, I mean, like we've we've done some work to look at these earnings recessions, right? Just to understand, you know, when does it actually matter? And really, the main takeaway there was that they matter when you have a, a like a global U.S. or at least U.S. recession that's imminent, right? Um, and so, you know, to the extent that things, you know, we've looked at home builders as well, where we've seen, you know, prices have adjusted already quite sharply, but you know, things like EPS forecasts haven't. So, you know, I mean. Can we still expect the same kind of level of downside, even though kind of markets have front run that earnings downgrade already? So, well, I mean, I think this is where it comes back to what our recession signal is supposed to do, right? So, like, when do you get cascade for in markets, or when do you get, you know, 20% being enough? So, you know, if we avoid a recession, then, you know, down 20 is probably a good rule of thumb for, you know, for a, a point that market turns around from, right? Whereas, obviously, if you, if you get more signs of recession pick up, then that down 20, then you, then you get another like down 15, 20, like afterwards. And you, and you kind of get this credit crunch that, that self-reinforces, right? And I think that's, that's the, the, the slight unknown risk right now. Um, obviously, the Q1 real GDP number was negative. So with Q2, if that's negative, technically, that would be a recession. Um, obviously, because of how high inflation is, I think a lot's going to depend on what the GDP deflator comes out at on Q2. Um, so, again, a, a very common client question and the topic of discussion is, you know, what, what's the kind of blind spot in BP's recession model? What, you know, how would it be wrong? How, how do we think about it? You know, how do we fact, kind of um, handicap it? Um, and so here, again, I've just, I just made the point that, you know, if you look at um, now casting, the Atlanta Fed GDP now cast is obviously back at pretty low levels. So, you know, there are reasons for us to, to kind of really think about um, where things may may or may not go wrong in terms of our recession model. Um, and I would say right now, I think our framework is still holding up in the sense that most of the stress is still in the stock 
data, whether it's surveys or whether it's in the um, in the in the kind of financial markets, right? Data and you know most of the hard data is still kind of okay. Um, obviously, it, it, it is a it is a mid cycle slowdown, right? In terms of what we think um, live right now, but um, you know these things are obviously very very hard to, to to give you exact numbers. So I thought one way I would try and answer this is to suggest, given our core view that we, we don't see imminent U.S. recession. Do we still see ways of hedging a recession that's still um, attractive? And so here I've kind of made two suggestions. Um, the top right-hand chart here plots kind of the, the one-year forward VIX against the one-year um, put skew. Um, so you can see basically the black and the red lines are both still at very high levels. So this is a pretty good setup. And obviously we wrote about this um, in April as well to, to actually look at um, kind of longer data put spread collars um, as a way to get short delta exposure, but also monetized vol, that's quite expensive. So that's quite a nice um, hedge that you can still put on. And so especially if, you know, you know we, we rally up to 4,200 and above, right? These are kind of the, I think within equities, very good structures to look at to kind of think about as, as a way to hedge if, our, if you know, a recession does happen and our, and our model's wrong. Uh, another one I really like is to try and um, essentially goes down the path of this narrative that, oh, the Fed's only going to stop once the economy is in recession. So they're going to hike the economy into recession, which I think is, is kind of a very, very dominant narrative um, at the moment. And so um, if that's the case, obviously, the bet is the bet would be that once we hit recession, then, then the Fed pricing has to back off. And so here, again, you can potentially set a very attractive reward, right? You know, I, I, this is the pricing I've used just off um, kind of last night's closes. You can get like potentially a 12 to 1 payout here. So the the bottom middle chart shows just the the, the June twenty twenty three um, euro dollar futures, right? So you can see kind of it's kind of down here. We're kind of implying, you know, the, the implied kind of three month, you know, liable effective right? at, at that point is going to be kind of say three and a half, right? That's kind of what the market's pricing right now. You can see, you know, it's kind of come back to the lows. And then what you can do is build like a core fly around it. So the, so if you look at the outright option price, it's obviously extremely expensive, right? So if you look at buy a core option on, on on it, you know, it's like 30, 36 bits up front. So, you know, it's, it's extremely expensive. But if you if you do like a core fly, which is kind of the example I've given here, um, you know, the upfront cost is actually pretty low and the max payoff is, is actually very high. And it's also capped downside risk. So these are kind of things, and these obviously listed as well. So I think, you know, these are some kind of ideas that we will have as, as fairly attractive ways to hedge on um, the risk that our recession model is wrong. Um, but overall, I would say, you know, obviously, we've seen the news on Target, Walmart. There's a, you know, there was um, a lot of concerns about consumer demanding inventories. But if you actually look at the breakdown of kind of uh, dollar spending, what you're actually seeing is yes, for sure, there's a slowdown in retail. It's obvious in the data and some transactions. But you're getting kind of a shift back towards kind of reopening things, right? So, you know, food and drink, restaurants, you know, like going out essentially, right? Like that's where a lot of the pickup is. So. It's not obvious that it's like a blanket consumers have exhausted all their excess savings and things like that. That's why, like overall, I don't think, you know, the fact that our model says that there's only there's not that much hard data stress. I, I still think that that's kind of fair enough. So, um, um, so Tian, with um, I've I've had a few conversations just about you know thinking about you know how oil has um, kind of rallied recently, and you know obviously we've done some work and in the last few months, just getting to understand some of these pain points, right, in terms of where oil prints and, you know, how quickly could our recession signal go from zero to one. Um, and so given the soft 
stress that we're seeing and given that we are seeing a slowdown in areas for sure do you think that that pain point has been moved lower like instead of perhaps you know 150 to 160 it's now kind of 130 to 140 or is it a case that we're slowly moving there and it's um again it's given the kind of the real dollars that are still being spent in the economy it's it's still a way away um well again that there should be a sequencing to this right so i i don't know exactly what the pain point is but i think just because the oil prices spike you 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 what you're supposed to see is that that's the epicenter. It starts going up, and then it slowly starts feeding to all the other sectors, and the other sectors all start getting stressed. And as they get more stressed and the oil stays high, then then you kind of have a, a fairly broad-based declining activity, right? And and so, you know, that should be the the sequencing in which this is going. So I think the the issue right now is when we think we might be close, but we're not seeing it, right? So the first step, yes, the oil surge has happened. So now what should happen, like manufacturing should really start showing some proper signs of slowing down. Um, if you look at it from an inventory point of view, you know, it probably should be. But obviously new orders and stuff is still okay uh, in manufacturing, for example. So, um, you know, presumably the marginal kind of data up, updates in the coming weeks and months just so that manufacturing then really starts to slow, right? That would be a sign that the oil kind of spikes really kind of spreading out. Similarly for the consumer, obviously, you know, if gasoline prices and stuff is up and we just start seeing a lot of negative surprises on kind of retail side. And again, we haven't really really seen that, right? We're, we're putting all the sector economic surprise indices in the LIW report. And the main thing is that housing is the one that's really negatively surprising, um, not, not, not actually on retail um, right now. Now, and obviously housing is hugely negatively surprising because um, yields are, are being surging, right? And mortgage yields are surging. So it's, it's, it is been much more of a, a liquidity rate story so far than actually, you know, oil squeezing, which is probably, you know, later on and when we'll see if it actually bites. So, you know, that, that's kind of a little bit how I'm thinking about the sequencing, I think. Um, okay, and then, yeah, just the final slide, um, just, you know, digging a little bit on the kind of um, the, the bond roadmap, right, in the sense of buying duration and, why, you know, why we should buy it. And um, so, so I think if, Tomorrow's CPI print does, does kind of follow our lead indicators. Um, I think the interesting thing becomes, will the narrative start to shift in the market? Because you're kind of into a seasonal period when yields generally tend to go lower anyway. And also, I still think the dominant trend in the market probably should be towards flattening because the narrative is, is still probably more likely to be um, that as growth slows, the Fed doesn't want to back off. Um, because inflation is so high and the Fed's own recession indicator, you know, the three months, 18 months hasn't triggered. So therefore you get even more extreme kind of um, uh, curve flattening, right? I.e. the front end yields stay high or keep going higher. But but now you, you're kind of almost getting to a point where the, the, the concern really will, will start to, to escalate in terms of the the, um, the back end, right? And then the curve flattening in terms of the impact on long-term growth. So I think these are some of the dynamics why it might start making more sense to look at um adding duration as well. Obviously, you mentioned a lot of the reasons previously already in terms of LPPL um, crashing over and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I think tomorrow is very key. If tomorrow data comes out, then I think we, we and, and it confirms it, then we probably will look to kind of dial up our kind of um, bond weighting in terms of asset allocation. Um, and, you know, I think for a trade certainly to the end of the year. And obviously, the nice thing is that you're you know, you're kind of exposed to the idea that the market narrative shifts towards worry about growth 
rather than just inflation. And yeah, and I would say that's it's also why we should be going right. Like if you look yeah, at our LEIs, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think the point is that you know even though um, you know as you as you said before that you know it's going to be a very difficult path back to two percent. We're ultimately stuck in this high inflation regime that we were calling for last year for, for quite a while. Um, you know the adding duration call I think is very much a multi-month um, opportunity rather than something that we could be looking to put on for you know more than a year or so. Um, it's only really if you know, we do get that recession, I don't know if it's ending this year or going into next, but we'd look to hold on to it. But otherwise, um, given the inflation path that we're on, um, it's more of a sense of kind of playing to the cycle, managing money through the cycle, respecting the growth, liquidity, inflation indicators right now, what they're saying. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, as you say, it's just waiting for the data tomorrow. Um, it's, you know, hopefully that will, we'll still be at good levels by then, but, um, uh, a lot of the tactical headwinds, I think, have cleared now, so it does make sense to start uh, dipping our toes in for sure. Uh, should um, we leave that? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Um, no, I, th- I think we'll probably end on the su- same kind of summary as, as I said last month as well, right? I think that if you look back at the history of EP, like the, if I had to identify the, the the biggest mistakes we've made historically has been not weighting our liquidity and growth indicators enough as the primary guide, right? So the the the, the danger becomes that these charts don't update that often, that, you know, it gets stale in your mind and you start kind of getting distracted by the next new idea and then you're like, and you look at, okay, oh, now there's a tactical short squeeze, now there's these kind of trades, right? But I think fundamentally the key is liquidity is terrible, growth is slowing. Okay, we don't have a recession yet, but this is still a pretty bad environment. And so, you know, you kind of have to keep that as the main kind of driver. And then obviously the tactical stuff, all the things around it is kind of, those are, those are tactical, right? Those are around it, but we can't lose sight of this main trend. So, so, so I still think critically, everything comes back to what's excess liquidity the case doing, what's BCFI doing, and then, you know, for all China's rhetoric about reflation stuff, you know, is that going to happen? Obviously, you know, the huge hit the sentiment again today with kind of Shanghai, um, you know, announcing some lockdowns again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if these things don't shift, I think it's, it's super hard to justify any kind of structural sh- um, bullish shift in, in the fundamental things. Agreed. Great. Thanks very much, Tian. Thank you, everyone, for uh, dialing in. We'll um, post a uh, transcript and recording of the call uh, tomorrow. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time, next month. Thank you. Right. Thank you.